The message today is entitled, Jesus is King. Look at your neighbor next to you. Say, neighbor. Jesus is King. Come on, tell him, Jesus is King. Now look at the other person you didn't want to look at. Say, other neighbor. (laughs) Jesus is King. The message of Christmas is literally that. It's that Jesus is King. When Jesus was birthed into this world, he was birthed into this world as a king. When he was born into this world, he wasn't born as a king, he, he, or into it, and then became a king. I mean, no, Jesus was a king before he even showed up. When Jesus came into this king, the last time I checked, he wasn't voted as king, and he won't be voted out as king. He was born into this world as king. How I many know he was king before he came into this world, and he'll be king when this world is over? Like, this is the king that we celebrate, that Jesus is king. Before this world began, after this world passes away, he is the king, he owns everything, and when he was birthed into this world, he changed literally the course and the history of this world. Let me prove it to you. In just, uh, what, a week or so, we're going to celebrate a new year. We'll go into a new year, 2023. Can y'all believe we're already there? It's already, time has already flown. But the fact that you write 2023, or you look at January or December, I mean, every time you look at a date, you're actually recognizing what Jesus did in his birth. When Jesus showed up on the scene, he's the only baby who ever did this. When Jesus showed up on the earth, he literally split time in half. Because before Jesus showed up, I mean, no, that's called BC, all right? What does that stand for? Before Christ, all right? And then when he came, it became AD, Anno Danami, the year of our Lord, that Jesus came and he literally split time in two. So every time you write your date down, it always reverts back to the story of Christmas. Christmas is not just about lights and gifts and music and all the things that we can sometimes get so wrapped up into. And I love all that stuff. I love everything that comes with Christmas. But really, this message of Christmas is that Jesus is king. And let me even show you 700 years before Jesus showed up on the scene, it was prophesied that there would come a day that this happens. It's Isaiah chapter 9, Verse 6 and 7, it says this, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. Everybody help me with these yellow letters. It says the what? The the government, okay? The rule of it will rest on his shoulders, speaking of Jesus. And here's some four names that he's going to be called. He's going to be called, everybody help me, wonderful, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Now watch, and his government And its peace will never end, and he will rule with fairness and justice from the the, the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. So 700 years before Jesus ever came, there was all of these prophecies. This is just one of many prophecies that there would come this baby, and this baby wouldn't just be like any other baby. This baby would be mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, and that the government would rest on his shoulders. And that his, his government and his kingdom and his throneship would never end. So when baby Jesus showed up, it's not, you know, oftentimes we look at, oh, it's sweet baby Jesus. That baby Jesus didn't stay a baby. How I many know that ba- baby was a king? That baby was mighty. That baby changed history. And in Matthew chapter 2, what we just read just a minute ago, those 12 verses, we get introduced to kind of three characters in the story. We get introduced first off to the wise men. Then we get introduced to a guy by the name of King Herod, who was the king at that time. 
And then we get introduced, of course, to uh, the Jewish priests and the scribes, the religious leaders of those days. And each one of those characters in our story all heard the same story. They all heard the announcement. The gospel, by the way. The word gospel is, a, is a, a, an announcement. It's a, it's a proclamation that, that something is here. It's, as we see, good news. And the good news is that there's a king here. That, that before ever Jesus showed up, there were gospels. There was the gospel of Caesar, and then there's the gospel of Alexander the Great. It was the gospel saying that the announcement of there is a new king here. And when Jesus was born, there was a gospel of Jesus Christ. But we see that there was Herod and that there was Jewish leaders and that there were wise men. And every one of them heard this gospel, heard this announcement, heard of the arrival of this Messiah child that would come. And here's where I want us to go today. And that is that all three of them had different responses. And those three different responses are actually very similar to the same responses that we can give to Jesus. And so I want us to look today at three responses that we can have when it comes to Jesus as the king. And the first one is this, is that we can respond like Herod, we can oppose Jesus as king. Now, King Herod, uh, he was the only person in this whole story that when he found out about Jesus, he was upset, he was furious, he was mad. He was the only one though. Question, why was King Herod so mad that there was a baby being born? Last time I checked, um, there's babies that are born all the time, and no one gets mad. Actually, everybody gets really excited. But King Herod got extremely upset about this one baby that was born. So upset, if you read the story, that those same wise men that did not go back and report to the king, they left because a dream told them of what was about to happen. And King Herod was so upset that he issues a decree in all of Bethlehem that every baby boy aged two and under be killed. Imagine that Christmas, by the way. You just had a brand new baby boy, and your baby boy was slaughtered because the king was scared. He was, he was fearful. Now, the gospel that we normally declare is the gospel that Jesus cleanses you of your sins. How many of you believe that Jesus forgives you of all your sins and what he did on the cross? Yes, it's an incredible news. It's the gospel. But can I tell you something? The gospel of the cross is actually not the gospel that Jesus teaches. The gospel that Jesus taught was the gospel of the kingdom. See, the reason why Herod was so upset was not because there was a baby that was going to come on the earth to forgive sins and that there was a baby that was going to come on the earth and give you this kind of get out of jail free card. Who would be mad that, that a guy comes on the scenes and says, I'm going to forgive all your sins and you're going to be in heaven forever? Who would be mad at that? Everybody would be like, that's the greatest news ever. You know why King Herod was mad though? Because Jesus didn't come just to forgive sins. Jesus came to create a new kingdom. And he came because he said, I am now the king. And how many know, the only reason King Herod is mad, because guess what he is? The king. And the only time the king gets upset is when he finds out there's a new king. There's a new sheriff in town. And this king is going to come and he's going to step into this world. Because the message of Christmas is not that Jesus just forgives your sins. The message of, of Christmas is that Jesus is king. And if Jesus is king, every other king has to be dethroned. Now you say, well, Pastor Josh, what does that have to do with me? I'm not scared about Jesus. I'm glad that Jesus is here. Well, if we're all kind of honest here, Herod's deepest fear was that he didn't want anybody else in control except for him. 
Now let me ask this question. All right, let's see if we'll be honest in here or those that are online. How many of you here have an issue with liking to be in control? Raise your hand. Just raise your hand all over the place. Okay, if you raise somebody else's hand, you really got a problem. I just want you to know. <laughs> just letting you know. Well, Pastor Josh, I'm not controlling. I'm just aggressively helpful. You know, like I'm thoroughly organized. You know, and I like everybody else to be that way. Culture will tell you to take control, to be in charge, to make it happen. And we can do this in our lives so many different ways. We can try to control our family, can try to control our health. We try to control our kids. How's that going for you? <laughs> control our finances. I mean, no, we even try to control our futures. But how many know you, you really quickly will learn you're not as in control as you think you are? But we will, be, we will buy into what culture tells us that we need to be in control. You make yourself happy. So you hear people say things like this. I'm fine on my own. I don't want anybody else to tell me what to do. I'm going to do life my own way. And ultimately, we want control. All of us in here at times want control. Because if we're honest, deep down, we all want to be our own God. And, and we don't mind that Jesus is our Savior because we all want forgiveness of sins. The issue that we have is we just don't like Jesus being our Lord. Because when he's Lord, how many know it's his way or the highway? So this Christmas is not just about a baby coming and forgiving you of your sins. This Christmas is about a new king that has now came, come on this earth. So here's the question we've all got to ask. Who sits on the throne of your heart? Who sits on the throne of your heart? And so I, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you know what? Different days, we can have different things sitting on the thrones of our heart. Maybe Sundays, God sits on the throne of your heart. You come to church, you make it a priority. But if you're honest, when it comes to Monday, the job's on the throne of your heart. And then Tuesday, maybe your marriage is on the throne of your heart. And then Wednesday, it may be your kids are on the throne. And then it could be your finances could be on your throne. Or it could be your own pursuits or your own passions or your own family. It could be all different things that we put on the thrones of our heart. And this is why it's so important that we understand this story because King Herod, really what he was most fearful of is that his kingdom would be taken away. His control would be taken away. And this is the control and the fear that we all have is that what happens if I surrender my life to God? What's going to happen? He's going to have to have control. And then, and then if he has control, that means that whatever he says I have to do, yeah, that's exactly what it means. Well, I'm so scared of that. Well, you're only scared of that if you really don't know God. Because if you really know God, how many know he loves you? He wants the best for you. And anything he tells you to do is for your best and for his glory. Whatever rules your heart rules your life. This is why it's so important that we understand who is on the throne of our life. So that's the first response is that, that we can look at Jesus as king and go, ah, I'm not, no, nah, that's not my deal. We can oppose him like King Herod did. Or we could be like the religious leaders, which is the second people, the Jewish priests, and how they responded to Jesus as king is they just dismissed him. Now think about this for a moment. Let me, uh, let, let me show you how big of a deal this is. The Jewish priests were in Jerusalem. Jesus was born in what town? Anybody know? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, uh, back in 2019, I got the incredible privilege to actually go to Israel and uh, be a part of uh, touring uh, Israel and, and all of the Galilee and all of that. And I got the opportunity to actually to go to Bethlehem and actually see. Now, of course, they, they speculate where they believe Jesus was born. 
Um, but I actually got to go in and see where Jesus was born and where they think it was and the cave that it was in and all this stuff. And so we were staying in Jerusalem where these Jewish priests were. And they said, we're going to take a drive to Bethlehem. Do you know how far Jerusalem and Bethlehem are? Five miles. Five miles. Now, why is that such a big deal? Because these Jewish priests were the guys, this is the most shocking, these were the guys who should have never missed Christmas. These were the guys who knew all about the Bible, they memorized the Bible, they knew about all the prophecies, they knew that there was gonna be a Messiah that was coming. These are the guys who know it all, right? They could tell you that there's gonna be this Messiah and he's gonna come and rule because for generations God had made this promise to God's people that it was gonna happen. And so these guys were anticipating. They were teaching all of the people. They were standing on a platform and teaching all of the people about this Messiah. The Messiah shows up five miles away and they don't even go. They don't even go. How crazy is that, that they just dismissed it Said, no, we're not even going to go check it out. And you know why I think they missed it? It's because Jesus didn't come the way they expected. See, they expected the king of the Jews, the Messiah, to show up on this planet like a royal king does. Now, I showed you all earlier King Charles III, who just became the king just a couple months ago. They're about to have a big coronation for him and all this stuff. How many know when that king was represented and presented the coronation and the trumpets and the, you know, all of the garb and all of the pomp and circumstance and all of this royalty and the royal robes and they wear all of this majestic stuff. And so I think to the Jews, they believed that this Messiah that was going to come, he was going to come with all of this glory and all of this excitement. And yet we get the, the story of the, the God child comes in the exact opposite way comes through a teenage girl that is engaged to a man that comes into Bethlehem that doesn't even have a place to stay, gets born in a cave with animals to a very poor family. I mean, no, the exact opposite of what you think a royal king would do. And yet because Jesus came that way, they missed it. Let me ask you this question. How many of y'all have missed it when God was doing one thing and you thought he was going to do something else? And you realize, oh, that was God. How many times people have crossed your path and you just dismissed them and then you just realize, man, I just dismissed a gift God had brought into my life. It happens all the time. That we know, so. watch this, this happens in church all the time. I grew up in church my whole life. I'm, gr I'm very grateful for it. I went to a private school my whole life. I'm very grateful for it. But I can tell you one of the dangers as someone who grew up in church my whole life and as someone who went to a private school my whole life is that you can know everything about God and still miss God. You can know everything about Jesus and still miss Jesus. Because what can happen, watch this, is that you can think you're close to God because you know a lot about him. But the ones who were the closest to him actually were the furthest from him. Just let that sit in for a minute, that the people who actually went to church every week were actually further from God than the people who never did. And so today, when we hear this story of Jesus is king, if you've been in church for a long time, you could go, well, yeah, okay, yeah, I get it. It's, and we miss the wonder, we miss the excitement, we miss the honor, we miss, we miss the, the glorious 
announcement of what that is because we've heard it so many times. So maybe you're not opposing Jesus, but maybe you're just dismissing it. And what I hope that our response would be is the response of the last, it's the response of the wise men. And look what the wise men did. Like the wise men, you can worship him as king. Now, I hate to ruin your nativity scene, but I'm about to jack it all up. Because I'm sorry to tell you, but the wise men were not at the nativity scene. It's not in the Bible. And, and, and to even make it even worse, there wasn't even three, y'all. That's just become some folklore now that there were three wise men. But there's nothing in Scripture that says that there were three. Now, most people will say that it's three because there was three gifts. So they just make this assumption. But I'm sorry to just, some of y'all are like, we're going to have to go home and throw those guys out. No, you don't have to throw them out. But just know, like, those guys were not at the nativity scene. Actually, they came either months or even years after. They came to the house. They didn't come. They weren't there at the stable. They came to the house. Now, watch this, though. You remember how I told you that the Jewish guys were from, Bethlehem, uh, from Jerusalem, and they were only five miles away, and they wouldn't even go see Jesus? Do you know where the wise men were from? They were said the wise men were from the east. Let me... I, and so I pulled up Google Maps, make it real simple for all of us. Look at this. They probably were from somewhere around modern-day Iraq, Baghdad area. And they walked or rode camels or whatever. Um, they didn't Uber. We know that. And so all the way from there to Bethlehem, which is roughly about 213 hours if you're walking it, over 650 miles. So just, just take this in for a moment. The guys who supposedly were closest to God would not even walk five miles. The guys who were pagans that didn't even believe in God walked over 650 to go see him. 650. And the Bible says, let's look, look, look with me in Matthew 2, verse 10 and 11. It says in verse 10, and when they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, not the manger, the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they, what'd they do? And, and they worshiped him. Think about, think about, think about the stories that they're telling as they're on this 650-mile journey. Think about what they're thinking about as they're getting closer and closer to Bethlehem, and all they have is a star that literally is guiding them in the sky, and they're just following the star until it literally is above where Jesus is, and that's where we know they come in, tell King Herod, hey, we see this star, and all that that happens, and they have all of this wonder, all of this excitement, and they finally get to this point where they see Jesus himself, and they say, nothing. They bow, and they worship him. Their wonder has turned into worship. Because bowing is the ultimate sign of honor and reverence. It's what they do in a lot of other countries. When someone of royalty steps in, they bow to show their respect and their honor and their reverence for that. And this is all it. They didn't go and run and hug Jesus and go, we're waiting on you. Like, they didn't do that. They didn't kiss him, they didn't hug him, they didn't touch him. They literally, all they could do is they could bow and love him and honor him. Reminds me 
of a, uh, of a story of uh, a guy that was touring around at a bunch of secular college campuses. He was, he was debating with, pe- with people about faith. And so he was inviting students to come. And if you have any questions about faith, come and bring it. I want to answer your questions. And so uh, he was at one of these um, town halls and a student came up to him. And this is the question one of the students asked. He said, how is it possible that one man suffering on a cross for a few hours could mediate all the sins of the billions of people that are on the earth? That's a great question. How does one dude on one cross alleviate all of the sins of everybody on this planet? And the guy looked back at, at the student and he said, can I ask you a question? And the student said, yeah. He said, here's my question. Who's the man? Because depending on the answer of who's the man depends on who can do that. Because if it's just a man, none of that can happen. But how many know if it's the God man, anything can happen? If it's the God man, he's the same one that could be born into this world from a virgin. It's the God-man. He's the one that stepped down from all of heaven, stepped into broken humanity. So I want to do this. I just started writing down some things about my king, Jesus as the king. He's not some distant, angry, uninvolved judge waiting for you to mess up. I just want you to get your accurate assessment of who Jesus is as the king. Come on, how many know he is a righteous king, and he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords? He is a king that heals the sick. He's a king that opens the blind eyes. He's a king that strengthens the weak. He's a king that delivers the captive. He's the king that restores the broken. He is a king that comforts the hurting. His goodness is indescribable. His power is incomprehensible, and his grace is irresistible. And when Jesus showed up in the stable, he was declaring to a broken world that there is no place he will not go. There is no heart that is too broken, no life that is too messy, no sin that is too great, no person that is too hard, and no distance that is too far that he cannot reach because he is the king. He's the king. He's the king. And so I want to end today reading Philippians chapter 2. The apostle Paul writes about this king. If you want to know about Jesus, read this. Watch. Read this with me. Philippians 2, verse 6 says, though he was God, speaking of this Christ child, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place, the place of highest honor, and gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, watch this, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when Jesus was born into this world, he was a king. And when Jesus went to the cross, how many know? He was the king. He wore purple robes as he went to the cross. He wore a crown of thorns on his head like a king would be. And on top of the cross that he, he, he bore his life on, the sign said, here is the king of the Jews. He was a king. But here's my question for all of us today is this. Is Jesus your king? Because that's the question we've got to answer. Is he your king? Now notice I said most people love that Jesus is their savior. Everybody wants to get out of hell free card. Everybody wants to go to heaven. 
If Jesus just came to this earth just so that he could forgive your sins, everybody would say yes to that. But why is it that people deny Jesus? It's not because they don't want their sins forgiven. It's because they don't want him as their Lord. The gospel that Jesus came was not a gospel of the cross. It was a gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus showed up on this planet and he says, there's a new king here. And with this king, there is a new way and there is a new kingdom. And if you wanna be a part of this kingdom, it's not just a faith in what I did on the cross, but it's a faith in knowing who I am. That word faith in the Greek is this word pistis. Pistis is not just a believing. I think everybody in here believes that Jesus is God. I think everybody probably believes that Jesus went to a cross. You believe that Jesus died on a cross. Even Satan believes that. But pistis, that word pistis, is not just believing in. Watch this. It's an allegiance to. It's faith in. It means loyalty. It means fidelity. Let me put it this way. On April 12th, 2003, was one of the greatest days of my entire life. It was the day that I stood in front of four or 500 people at our Broussard campus in front of Lindsay Elizabeth Talley at the time, and I said, I do, and thank God she said, I do. And we walked out of that church married. At that day, almost 20 years ago, I became a husband. It happened in a moment, April 12th. I celebrate it, I'm excited for it, but you know today I'm still married not because of the moment, but because every day since then, I have pledged my allegiance to this woman. I have pledged my faithfulness to this woman. I have pledged my love to this woman. How many know, if you wanna be saved, it's not just a moment, it's a process. It's a yes, I say yes to you as Lord of my life, but every day from now on, you're still Lord. On Monday, you're Lord. On Tuesday, you're Lord. On Wednesday, you're Lord. On Thursday, you're Lord. Like every day, you are the Lord of my life. So listen to me closely. It's not what you say with your mouth that declares Jesus as Lord. It's what you say with your life. And there's many of us that are in this room or maybe you're watching online and you've said Jesus, I believe in Jesus out of your mouth. You've said, yes, I believe he's gone to the cross out of your mouth. But if you're honest, he's not Lord of your life. He's not king of your heart you're still sitting on the throne of your own life. And if, it, if Jesus can help better your life, you're cool with that. But the moment Jesus starts telling you to live life a different way, you're like, ah, Jesus, you stay in your lane and I'll stay in mine. And so today on this Christmas day, I wrote this down. The Christmas message is not just an invitation for Jesus to wipe away your sins. It is an invitation for you to stop running your life and actually surrender your life to the lordship, the kingship, and the leadership of Jesus. So I'm going to ask this question. Does your life today declare that Jesus is Lord? Are you surrendered to him as king? Or are you just running through the religious motions 
because I know a lot of people who go to church, been baptized, been christened, they know all the right things to say, but one day they will stand before God and they will say, God will ask, who are you? And they'll say, I did this in your name and I did this in your name. And the Bible says that one day we'll stand before God and God will look at us for those who have just done religious things but don't know Jesus and he'll say this, depart from me, I never knew you. I mean, that's a scary thing to be doing religious things but miss Jesus. So would you bow your heads in this place? If you're there online, I want to invite you into this moment. And can we just right now just, just do an honest assessment? I want you to be totally honest. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Is Jesus Lord of my life? Not just have I asked him to forgive me of my sins, but have I let him come in and rule the throne of my life? And if you're here in this room, the Bible says that we can be born again. And born again is a simple term that Jesus used when he talked to Nicodemus. Because when you were born into this world, you were born into sin, separation from God. But Jesus told Nicodemus that in order for a man to enter heaven, in order for man to enter the kingdom, he must be born again. Which yet again can begin with a prayer. It's a moment. But it really is a heart change that's a process. And if you're here in this room or you're watching online, you say, Pastor Josh, I, I know I have not surrendered my life fully to Jesus being my Lord and my Savior on the count of three, I want you just to shoot your hands up and I wanna pray for you. If that's you, one, come on, you're not here by accident. This is you, God is drawing you home this Christmas. If this is you, two, three. If that's you, going up all across this room, come on. Hands going up all over, thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Anybody else? Anybody else? 10, right here. Anybody else? If you're watching online right now, if that's you, just let us know. Anybody else? Back there in the back on the left side, 11, thank you, thank you. Right here in the front, 12, thank you. Thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down right there where you are. And I want you to pray this, and we're gonna all pray this together. I want everybody in this room, if you're watching online, I want us to all just pray this together. If you say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. And I believe on the cross, you took my guilt, and my shame, and you died for it. And I believe that you faced hell for me so that I wouldn't have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today I turn away from my sins to be born again, and I receive you as my Savior and as my Lord from this moment forward, in Jesus' name, amen.